0: This podcast is brought to you by Oh My Audiobooks, where the pleasure is all yours. This is Love Notes with Julie and Jonathan.
1: Hi, I'm J. Jay Huss.
0: And I'm Jonathan McLean, and you are listening to Love Notes. The podcast where we are in conversation with today's best romance writers and pick their brains about the business, their process, and whatever else they want to talk about. Um, How are you doing, Julie?
1: I'm good. How are you?
0: I'm good. What's going on this week? What are you doing?
1: This week, it's freezing at my house, so I'm hiding inside. Today, it's actually warm, and by warm, I mean it's like 25 degrees today, but the last two days it was like minus four, so it sucked.
0: Um, how, <laughs> how how if it sucks for you, how is it for the animals?
1: Well, the dogs see the dogs hate this because they can't. They want to go outside and they can't go outside because they get cold. And then my donkeys just stand there and shiver in the barn. It's sad, and I have to feed them like you know an entire bale of hay to keep them warm when it's this cold out. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. It's tough being an animal.
1: It is. I guess, I mean, yeah.
0: Well, I mean, you know, so we are we are also animals and and I can speak for myself, it's it's tough. Um I uh I also happen to know that you're writing 3 books at the moment.
1: Oh, I, I am. I wasn't going to say that, but
0: You are though. <laughs> you are. You're writing You right well, we're writing we're writing one book right now together. We're
1: writing the square. And you're
0: writing two books on your own.
1: And I'm writing into her and I'm doing something secret that I'm not telling anybody about yet. I know what it is. I know you know what it
0: is. I know. I just like having secrets. Because you're lucky.
1: Now you're not I, I, now I, lucky.
0: <laughs> I like the I like the fact that as you yes, well, that's objectively true. Like as your partner, every day is like a waking dream. Um which actually it's true, which actually brings me to uh, something that was uh, asked. We even though we uh, this is our first episode, we have uh, already put out into uh, the reader group that, that Julie and I uh, admi- administer on Facebook. Uh, you know, ask us questions. they know that this podcast is happening and one of the questions we got is from Brenda and Brenda's question is, do you think if the two of you had met in high school, you would have been friends? Or would you have run in separate circles and not had the time of day for the other?
1: And I think we would definitely have been best friends. Do you think that?
0: Do you? It's an, I mean, the short answer is yes. The longer question I have for you is, are you, do you feel like you're fundamentally the same person that you were in high school? Just 100%. Like 100%. 100%.
1: Really? Yep.
0: That's, that's the reason that I don't have a clear answer because like I've Madonna'd myself now about 10 times. I've just done, <laughs> done the, I like that. I used it as a verb, but I've done the reinvention thing a bunch of times. And I think it's, but broadly speaking. Yeah. I mean, like at the end of the day, your DNA and my DNA, I think sync up. Pretty you know why well. I, think, I we, think,
1: you know why I think we would be friends. Why? Cause I saw a picture of you. I think you were in high school
0: oh. and you had
1: <laughs> really great hair.
0: We we should put that picture on on the website. We should because
1: but, you had hair. You had like the metal band. It was a little bit metal band, wasn't it?
0: Yep. Yep. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, extraordinarily. Yeah. You would
1: have been yeah. in my friend circle immediately.
0: Yeah. I, I think I had like a an acid wash denim jacket on in that picture. Yep. Uh I was pretty high in that picture. Yeah. <laughs> uh and you can tell because my eyes are barely open. Um and uh, and all, all you moms out there who are listening, look at that picture and use it as a cautionary tale. Don't let your kids become that dude. Although, if your kid is that dude, the, you know, the good news is he might also turn out to be a dude who writes romance novels with Julie Huss. And speaking of things we love, it might be a good time to introduce our sponsor, uh, Oh My Audiobooks. Oh My Audiobooks uh, publishes Hands Free Romance with superb casting and the highest quality production standards. And speaking of Oh My, be sure to check out the audiobook Deliver by Pam Godwin, produced by Oh My and featuring the narration talents of Abby Creighton and Teddy Hamilton. Pam Godwin, who will be a guest on our show in the coming weeks, actually, is a terrific writer. She writes taboo, dark romance, and Deliver is a dark H-E-A story about Liv and Joshua who are wrapped up in a world of slavery. It's twisted, It's heart in your throat. It is a captivating romance. So please sign up today on Audible to get your free 30-day trial. Deliver is available on Audible now. And we just have time for another quick question from someone. Um, So Janet, uh, continuing our theme of friends and friendship and things we love, Janet is asking, would you be friends with any of your characters or are you attracted to any of your characters?
1: Hmm. I mean, I think I would be friends with most of them. Yes.
0: Well, they're all they all come out of your brain, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I would actually love to live in the Rook and Run world. I think I think that would be a fun world to live in.
0: Because the Rook and Ronan world is filled with the with with what part of their personalities is it that you respond to? So I well.
1: like all the girls in the Rook and Ronin. Like I think I could just fit right into their little circle and be their best friend.
0: Are there any of the dudes that you've written that you're like, uh, yeah, that's a dude that I you know hook up with? Or are there any dudes that you've written that you're like, uh, I mean, I, I get why he's attractive, but I wouldn't date him.
1: Um, I would never date brick from um, turning series I know a lot of people he's the favorite which is weird to me but I would never date
0: brick <laughs> <laughs> i mean I fall in love with every character that you and I have written together and uh and I, and I, I'm attracted to all of them i'd i'd, I'd uh i'd fuck any of them. <laughs> I would. I would. I'd fucking any of our characters. I, I mean, the truth of the matter is that, you know, just like you've talked about, none of the characters are me, but parts of my personality are in all of them. So it's hard to say, like, yeah, I think that I would be super into this character without sounding like a horrible narcissist, but because I am a horrible narcissist, it's not that big of a deal. So uh, <laughs> they're all awesome. They're all awesome. They actually feature my favorite parts of my personality. And then all the other parts of them are made up of the parts of me that I wish I could be.
1: Oh, yeah. I think Veronica is me because I gave her a lot of my attributes, like the kind of music she listens to and her little attitude. And even though I'm not girly the way Veronica is, I think her um, her attitude and her um, spunk, I guess, that that is a lot me.
0: Someone, someone, uh, Veronica's bombshell, right?
1: Yeah. Also, she's a tattoo artist. Well, I'm not a tattoo artist, but I, I was, um, I am an artist. So I, I kind of identify with her that way.
0: Well, that is the thing about both of us. I feel like that, uh, I didn't really notice how many sort of like different things I'm into until you and I started getting to know each other. And you were like, every day you say some new shit that I just am surprised to find out about you. And like, similarly from my perspective, I remember you were saying to me like, well, you know, during that period of time that I was in art school and I was like, wait, what, what the fuck are you talking about? When were you in art school? And you were like, oh, you know, before I went and got the biomedicine PhD program and I'm just like, no, 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 I was down. in
1: high school. I w it was high school when I was in art school.
0: Well, still like every, I don't know, every day you'll say some new little tidbit that's like, and then, you know, when I was curing, gout or whatever I'm when like, i was okay. a tow
1: truck dispatcher i remember i landed that one on you once i was all oh, like, right was that was around a the same tow time truck dispatcher I that-,
0: that was around the same time i found out that you were a dental hygienist
1: i was a dental assistant not, assistant. not a hygienist yeah so yeah i had a lot of um different careers in my 20s <laughs> yeah <laughs>
0: So, and and all of them, all of those bits and pieces of all the things that we've done find our way into our characters. So I think it's like, it's hard not to be attracted to the parts of those characters that, you know, speak to us on a human level. Otherwise, we wouldn't write them. I mean, if we couldn't identify with them, we wouldn't spend the energy trying to make them into people, I think.
1: Yeah, I think the only ones I would date would be Spencer um, and Five.
0: yeah. Five's pretty good. I think
1: good. that's
0: about it. Five's pretty good. Also- You know who,
1: you know who I wouldn't date? Who? Besides Brick? Mr. Who? Romantic. <laughs>
0: um, well, listen, a guy with a rape fantasy as his thing is going to have a hard time finding love in life, but when the right girl comes along, it's pure magic. Um, yeah. Yep. So, on that happy rape fantasy note, um, let's shift gears- to discussing uh, today's guest. Uh, today, we will be speaking with the great Kay Bromberg, uh, Christy Bromberg, author of The Drive series, uh, which you also may know from uh, it having been turned into a, uh, a film for passion flicks. So uh, likely you've either read or seen her work before. Uh, we chat with her about uh, her origins her process uh, what it was like for her adapting her work uh, to the screen and um, and her uh, history her personal relationship with Julie uh, she's a real delight so please stick around uh, we'll be right back with Christy and we hope you enjoy it. Christy thank you for coming on and talking with us today
2: thank you for having me
0: now you guys you Julie you and Christy have known each other for a while. So, uh, and I kind of know Julie's story, obviously, but I guess my question, Christy, my first question is like, have you always written or was there a point where you made a transition? And If so, what were you doing before? Like, how did you get started writing?
2: Um, I mean, I've always written, but not like at this level. Um, I, uh, I, my degrees are in economics and political science, so nothing to do with writing. Wow. I did accounting, and um, I read Fifty Shades of Grey, and I was like, you know what? I can do this. So I did.
0: So I think so, that's amazing. <laughs> that's uh, so. Let's so, lest lest, uh, lest everyone think that you read Fifty Shades of Grey and then suddenly you become a wildly successful right. writer. Yes. Um, is what was the? I guess my question is like. That's amazing. What was the process? Well, not (laughs) yeah, I guess the why is part of it. And then like and then how did you how did you navigate those early components? Well,
2: for me, I had three kids under the age of five at home. Um, my husband was traveling like twenty five days of the month for work. And I needed something to do besides sit and watch TV. So when they went to bed, so for me it was, you know, I was I kinda read Fifty Shades and I kinda um Read some of the other authors that were starting to hit, uh, Jodie Ellen and Rain Miller. And I was watching these people have success that had normal lives like me. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to try. So I started outlining Driven um, and wrote it. And I mean, and I, you know, to me, success always comes with timing and hard, you know, it's a bunch of different factors that all click at one time. Uh, so I wrote Driven and I learned as much as I could about what I needed to do. And I I made a lot of mistakes, but uh, I decided to publish it and I published it with only my mom and my husband knowing, because I didn't want to make a fool of myself. And
0: then things kind of went a little crazy. And how did that, why did that look? Yeah. How did the craziness happen?
2: Well, the craziness, I shouldn't say the crazy, the crazy, you know, for me, it was, I want to sell a hundred copies. I had read something that Colleen Hoover had said one time that she sold 200 copies a month and she thought that was insane. And that was success. So for me, I was hoping to sell a hundred copies. Um, and then, so for the first book did okay. And then I had promised to get the second book out in 90 days, which was (laughs) naive on my part. And, um, it did well. And then it kind of started falling off, you know, sales started falling off to like 10 a day, you know, five a day. And then when the second book hit it, that's when everything kind of just went crazy. Um, sales were really good, and then that's the third, third
1: book. <laughs> was,
2: the third one was <laughs> chaos to me. Yeah, that's when everything changed, and I quit my job because I got a book deal with Penguin. And so um, that
1: was right around the time, or right before we did Bend. Bend. Yes, yes, yeah. Because I remember <laughs> how just you were on top of the world. I mean, it was crazy good.
2: It was insane to me. And it still is very surreal. Just the whole period of it is surreal to me because it's like, uh, you know, like I had never intended or had any, not intended, but I had never any goal for New York Times. Like that was not even on my radar. So to hit number two was insane to me. Um, And then to have offers to buy the series and not take them was like that, that big moment for me when I wanted to keep control of them.
0: Do you think that that's because you're, you have sort of a more practical, like, you know, economics-based and sort of like a, a business-based background? And so you, because I, you know, Julie and I have talked about this a lot as an artist first and like as someone who's terrible at business, I never would have been able to navigate what Julie and I are doing now on my own. Do you think you like had a natural proclivity to understand this is best for my long-term financial health? People
2: tell me that I'm either crazy or smart. Uh, it depends on what side of the fence you're on. You know, people say if I would have sold it, I would have hit number one, and that would have guaranteed me better contracts for the rest of, you know, my my career. Other people say, you know, hey, you're keeping a lot more of your percentage. Um, for me, it was more about a control issue because I knew the offer to sell it actually was when, after I'd published Fueled. So they wanted to take Crashed, the third book, uh, and take it and tell me what I could and couldn't do with it. And at that time I was a new author. Uh, I didn't want to tick anybody off, but crashed is a really long book. It's like 165,000 words. Wow! Uh, so I knew, I knew a publisher would tell me I had to cut it in half and I had to cut things and And for me, it was, I had promised readers it was going to be three books. There was another author at the time, who I won't name, who had said there was going to be three books, and then she ended up having six books, and a lot of people were really, really upset by it. And so I had a lot of mail saying, you better not do what she did because you're new, and it's going to be the death of your career. So for me, it was more of a, I wanted to do what I said I was going to do, not change anything up, and... If it was going to be a, you know two hundred thousand word book, it is what it is. But I was going to be able to tell the story how I wanted to tell it.
1: Yeah, I think I remember some of this too. Talking in our yeah. little group, so I have a question going back to Driven because I read Driven and I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I <laughs> thought it was good. I mean, what, see, you know, I'm not a romance reader, right? But back then, I was reading a lot of romance, and I my question really is, how did you know? how to put that book together, because I think you hit all the, I think you hit all the marks, Christy.
2: I did um, it. I am I was, I'd read, a, I, you know, I did my homework. I read every book I could feasibly read at the time. And I kind of took a little bit of all of the top alphas and combined them.
1: And because, you know, you sent us the link to your trailer, which we're going to have on the website when this goes live. And uh, I started remembering like what, her job was with the boys in the house and everything. And I just remember thinking back then how clever that was because it's so emotional, right? To me, I like to have a little bit of real in all of my books.
2: So, you know, I have books that deal with Alzheimer's, with breast cancer. To me, even though it's a romance, I think readers connect with the real and it makes them feel like they could step into the book and, and live that life. So for me, like the, the, the orphaned boys in the book, it was a connection for readers to me.
1: Yeah, it definitely worked. I think it did.
0: I'm, I'm curious, uh, jumping off of that, you said a second ago that you wanted to hold on to as much creative control as you could. Um, mm-hmm. And so that, I guess, begs the question then when, well, t- t- can you talk a little about how Passion Flicks approached you and then in the process of turning it into a screen adaptation, which is, of course, as you likely know, Julie and I are going through that right now, yep. what part of... Of that, what, what parts of that were challenging? What parts, because if, mm. if maintaining creative control was the imperative, then how much of that did you have to give up when someone else came in?
2: So, Passion Flicks approached me through another author. Um, they made the introduction. Actually, it was CD, um, Christine Reese. Uh, so they approached me through her and we talked. And I kind of pushed away the process for a while because I thought, you know, you're going to take this and you're just going to massacre the book. Um but the more they talked to me the more it was this is for readers. It is why are we going to change something that they that they know inside and out? You know, we would be called to the carpet on it. Um so then I decided to do it and I I was very nervous the first time I got the screenplay. And I think the hardest thing for a scre- for a writer to see a screenplay who doesn't write screenplays is that you can say so much with so few words. Oh,
0: so you didn't, this is news to me. You didn't, I thought you adapted, you didn't adapt it yourself.
2: I did not adapt it myself, but I probably did about six or seven edits on it and re-changed things that I didn't like. Or, you know, you can take 30 pages and take, there's 30 pages and they would take five lines and put them in into a scene and none of them would make sense. You know, you can't be talking about hot and sexy stuff one second and turn to a boy the next. You know, it just doesn't, didn't work for me. So- Mm -hmm.
0: Yep. They were, very, Welcome.
2: Yeah, yeah. they were very, very willing to let me make changes and to say, okay, this is a really important line. Like, this was cut out. We need to put this back in. So, I mean, at the end of the day, I had quite a heavy hand in it, um, which I'm very thankful for. But I did realize how much how much my writing has changed from driven to now, you know, and how, how much repetition I had and how many of the same words I would use. So for me, it was more of a pairing things down in the screenplay and being able to fix a couple of things. I didn't like a couple of, you know, phrases or whatever. Um, So in the end, it's a lot of my writing in the screenplay, but you know, I didn't know how to cut scenes down or whatever. So they helped with that. But yeah, I mean, it definitely was a combination of the two of us.
0: Do you feel like the end product is an accurate representation of the story you wanted to tell?
2: Yeah. More so than I ever expected.
0: That's interesting because Julie and I, as we're, as we're doing our thing right now, as we're adapting her existing work, her attitude is, well, Julie, you know what you've said about <laughs> you're you're, I, you're uh, so liberal about changing things.
1: Yeah. Because, and I like I said, I don't know if it's because it's this book, the company series or not, but Um, How we approached it was I already told that story and there was so much story I didn't get to tell because it's really a thriller and I, I morphed it into a romance, right? So when we started adapting, I, I had so many scenes that never got put on the page that I was excited to reshape it and make it something new. So I think that was a lot of fun. But I, I did say that there are books out there that I would not be willing to do that with.
2: Yeah. And see, I would have loved to do that. I would have loved to rewrite scenes and have them be smoother or what in my head. I Now that I have five years under my belt, I could change to. Yeah, But people, uh, fort- I mean, it's a fortunate thing for me and it's not a complaint, but people know these books inside and out. Yeah. I mean, there are a couple lines that I didn't add because- Let's face it, you can read you can read a line from an alpha guy, but when you see it on screen, you just want to like go, are you kidding me? That was so cheesy. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, mean, I made a point probably in the third or fourth run through, I had questioned them the whole time, and then I just cut them all. I cut all the lines because to me it was more important for people to watch the movie and not cringe. You know, Because if you open in the first five minutes, you cringe, you turn it off, you're not even going to see it. So for me it was more of I would rather have people – Be a little upset that the line's not there, but enjoy the movie and the feel, you know, the feel is the same. But yeah, I mean, this, I get complaints that there's certain lines that aren't in there. And it's like, yeah, I get it. But people like know these books. It's, it's insane to me that they know them better than I do now. Yeah. (laughs) Do
0: do you feel like, do you feel like uh, the process has changed I mean, I guess things change just organically over five years. You're going to change the way you write. But do you think that the process of adapting this has changed the way that you approach writing new material?
2: Yes. I think you can say so much more with fewer words.
0: Yeah, that is the truth. I mean, uh, as someone who comes to it from a screenwriting background first, that was fascinating to me to learn early on is that, you know, you can, you don't need seven words when three will do. Do you you think that, I guess my other question is with the kind of success you've had, does that change your writing or does it change the reasons that you write or do you still write for the same reasons that you started?
2: I still write for the same reasons I started because if I don't love what I write, then I'm not going to, it's not going to come across on the page. But I do think there is an added um, pressure and expediency that's expected to produce books. And I don't think as an author, you know, when I wrote Crash, I had, I think I had five months to write it. You know, nowadays I'm writing a book every 45 days. So I don't feel like I get to fall in love with my characters as much as I used to.
0: Really? It's
1: a it's a lot harder to fall in love with them when we're writing fast for sure. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And then like I'm writing a book right now for Mont like and the editor said something to the other day and I said what, are you kidding me? Like this is the longest I've had to sit with characters in the longest time. Cause I've had like a month to like sit after I wrote the book and like think about what I wanted to change. So, yeah, I, I think the process is the same. I'm still a really heavy outliner. I have to know where the story is going and ending before I start, but it's all, um, probably on fast forward because I have to do it so
1: fast. So how many words a day do you do?
2: If I'm on deadline between, well, this is slow to some people, but like 35, 3,500 to 4,000.
1: Yeah, I mean that's that's a significant chunk of words. I mean, I'm like I'm like
2: normally a fifteen hundred to two thousand girl, but how I've like lately my brain just doesn't. I have to have the pressure of it.
0: But so I I know that Julie had a question she wanted to ask that sort of relates to this, but before I let her do that, I, I was talking to a novelist friend the other day who has you know in his forty years of writing has two novels that he's written, right? And I was chatting with him about what I'm into and what this world is the other day. And I was speaking about the number of words that Julie can write in a day, for example. And it sounds oh, she's like, insane. yeah, well, it sounds like you are right up there, but yeah, he, you're, he, you're
1: right up there. I don't write only when, only when my arms twisted. Right. Me too. That's how I am these days too.
0: But he stared at me for like five minutes. And, and finally I was like, why are you staring at me? He's like, I literally don't understand what you're saying to me right now. <laughs> he's like, he's like, I write a hundred words a day. I was like, well, I don't, that's good for you.
2: I mean that's just how it is and you know as much as we want to complain about it we're pretty damn fortunate to be able to have this. I do wish it would slow down a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um because it you know like I'm there's just there are things in life that I'm missing I feel like sometimes because I the next deadline the next you know push for something um but at some point people aren't going to read so I feel like I have to work while they do.
1: Does that make sense? Yeah. And that leads into my question, which is about this myth of the supermom, right? Cause you and I are probably fairly close in age. And there was a time, um, uh, maybe 15, 20 years ago where there was this thing called the super mom and every mother thought that they could have it all right. You could have the family and the husband and the career, but, um, you can't really have it all. You have to give something up and to concentrate on something else, right? So I'm just wondering, like, what do you think you gave up? Because when I started writing, my kids, one of them was already 18, I think, and one of them was just becoming a teenager. But your children were small, and that's totally different. Yeah, I'm still (sighs) –
2: I am very anal and I'm very, I can do everything, which is a detriment at some point because, you know, I, I'm the one who picks up my kids, does the homework, does the birthday parties, all that, you know, I write, I drive an hour to soccer every night. Um, you know, I can't write until my house is clean in the morning. I can't, don't leave the house to drop my kids off till my hair and makeup's done. Like I'm just that anal And so for me, like, I have to have everything in order to write. So I have to, you know, I can't be in my pajamas. I have to have my hair done, my makeup on. It's stupid. It's so stupid (laughs) because it's a waste of time. But I all, it's like, that's why I typically write at nighttime, like when my kids go to bed, which isn't always the best for brain power. But by the time I get home from dropping them off, it's like 930. And then I feel like, I feel like I have ADD lately. Like I sit down to write, oh, look, there's laundry, you know, like. I hate laundry. Why am I getting up to do laundry? Because I just don't, I don't want to focus on writing, you know? So yeah, I I need to let go some, but I'm kind of a control
1: freak. (laughs) Well, hey, whatever works for you. I wish it didn't work. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Because my house doesn't get cleaned. Like I get up in the morning and I write first thing. So it's over with. And then I feel like, "Ah, I got, I got my job done, you know?
2: Yeah. I, do, I feel like I need to get to like at four or five, do that before my kids get up so that I can have like s- s- fresh brain power, but I don't, and I don't drink coffee. So it, it makes it even worse. Do
0: you, do you feel like, do you feel like, um, is that just an internal drive or do you feel like you now have an obligation to your fans and to the people who are waiting for your material to get that stuff done?
2: I uh, books faster. You mean?
0: Yeah. I guess my question is like managing all of that stuff, um, you know, in, in, concurrently, do you feel like a sense of responsibility to write because of a personal responsibility? Or do you feel like, no, my fans are waiting on my work, so I, I better make sure that I find the time to get this done for them?
2: As far as readers, I feel like if I don't produce a book as often as I do, that I feel like the market's so flooded, I'll fall off their radar. Does that make
0: sense? So Julie, I know Julie said to me, if I can say this on your behalf, well, I, you talk about it, but I mean, you've said you have so many stories that are in your brain that you just need to get them out. But I also know that you share what Christy just said, which is that, you know, part of the reason you get them out at the pace that you do is to make sure that it stays in the public's eye, right?
2: Because I don't, my creativity is gone this year. Like I can't think of a story to save my life. So what do you do? I just sit and stare at a computer. No, no, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have a general idea, but for me, I cannot, if I don't have an outline, I can't write. And my outlines are like a page, a chapter, like I am very detailed. So I have sat down and tried to write without one and I can't. So like, I have to sit down today and finish, figure an outline for this next book before I can start writing. So, but for me, it just creates creatively, like I need to read more and I don't get to read anymore. Cause I'm on that this grind. So I need to read more or I need to watch TV more just cause it yeah. sparks ideas, you know, yeah. stupid little thing. A one liner in a, in a TV show can be like, Oh my God. And, and the
1: next day it's a whole story in my head. So. Um, that's so funny because that's exactly what I told Jonathan.
0: Yeah. And it has, well, I saw it happen. We, we were in Vegas my wife and I came to meet up with Julian Vegas at the end of a, of a con, right? I think it was. And you went and you and Laura went and got massages or seaweed body wraps she or something. Got a,
1: she got a massage, but I got a pedicure and we didn't go together. It was different. It was different times.
0: I just remember you coming back up to like the suite or whatever and being like, um, you know, what's really creepy is like, if you had like a seaweed <laughs> wrap and your face is covered and like people are touching you, I'm going to, ah, that's a good, that's a good jumping off point yeah. for a story. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean it's the every like my husband laughs at me and says that I live in my little castle and you know I never leave the house, and I almost need to because then it sparks ideas or you know even watching my kids play soccer because they both play soccer like endless hours a week, it kind of it gives me time to sit and think. Yeah, yeah.
0: I'm I'm sort of curious about uh, if we can go back for a second to the to the adaptation of Driven. Did that cause you to feel like? you wanted to do screenwriting or did you want to move, move into it? Or how did that land for you as a process?
2: I'm too damn wordy to do screenwriting.
0: Hmm.
2: Like I just, I always feel like I have to hit the reader over the head like a hundred times with the same thing. Like I always tell my editors, okay, I repeat myself. I point things out that I've already pointed out like five times just in case they missed it. <laughs> um, I think I'm too, I mean, I think if I, if I took a class on it, but I don't feel like, I don't feel like in screenwriting, and, and it's, and I, I know it's not the case because I've seen it come to life, and I've seen how you know five words in between two characters, with just just a look on their faces, can convey something. But writing it, I think, would be hard for me because I don't think that emotion is there. Does that make sense? Like you know,
0: what do you, what do you mean exactly? Just that you- Well, like when
2: I write a book, when I write a book, I can, in first person, I can express what she's feeling, how right. she's, feeling, what she's feeling, and then the words come, and then the actions come. Whereas in a screenplay, you're literally writing sentences back and forth, like, you know, dialogue back and forth, and you're not always getting in their head. So, but I know that when it comes to the actual acting, that's the actor's job to feel it and to portray it with their expressions, but...
0: I almost feel like I would fail at that. Yeah, it's it's funny. I, I I had to double check when we decided we wanted to chat with you because I actually auditioned for uh, something of Tosca's and I was like, that wasn't. That wasn't Christie's, was it? And I went back because I was like, because I because I w- didn't want to bring it up because I've done that before when I've like met producers yeah. or writers and have been like, oh, I audition for your thing, and then they're always like, oh, well, you didn't get it, so now I feel awkward. Um, so I was going to leave it out, but it wasn't it wasn't one of yours, but it it is interesting because yeah, from from sort of an, a performer's perspective it's it's always exciting. I don't know. It's, it is interesting because it's always exciting to see less because then we get to fill it up with whatever we want, which is actually all we fucking want to do anyway. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah. yeah we just want permission <laughs> to just do whatever we feel. So, <laughs> so. Well,
2: that's funny because there, were, there was one scene in particular in the movie that I, it's the only one I disagree with how it was played out. And um, because of the Me Too movement, a lot of the movie had to be changed. But, how it comes across in film versus how you read it was like, Oh no, we can't be doing that. I mean, the whole alpha males we write, you know, they do not really comply with me too.
1: No, they don't at all. But you know, people still love them, which is so yep. interesting.
2: It is. Cause I had someone the other day tell me, I just released a novella and it was, Oh, this is classic Christie. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? Explain to me what classic Christie means. And it was the strong alpha, the, damaged female and I'm thinking that's like the of all the books I've written I've written fewer books with that but it's funny how that's just this the this not stigma but um stereotype that I have for what I write and sometimes it's like I want to write the guy who's not you know strong and but I guess that's not attractive to women
1: or at least maybe not not your readers, right? Like you have col- you have collected this certain subset of readers who enjoy that. yeah. and it's harder for me to write now, though, you know,
2: just yeah, I agree. It's,
1: I, it's harder for me to write too.
2: yeah, I just want to go. I, if you said that to me, buddy, I'd slap you in the <laughs> face, you know
0: that's so funny. and it's been interesting navigating this with Julie writing together because, I am such a fucking me too guy. Like I'm so. My the, husband you, is too. Yeah. I, I think we talked about that when we met in Denver. Yeah. I, I'm so like fight the fucking patriarchy, you know, and I'm like, yeah, the future is female. Um, and, uh, and so Julie will have to actually, it's kind of an interesting thing. She will have to sort of gently nudge me in the direction. No, no, it, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Um, But to the point of what people expect from you, because Julie, I know is Confronting this a little bit right now in some of the stuff that we're doing together because we've now taken a complete left turn with a couple with a series that we're writing that's a, a total rom com, which is so far afield from anything that Julie you've ever done before. And I, I was wondering if you guys could both talk a little bit about like how that feels uh, for you personally taking that risk to maybe write something that your audience isn't traditionally accustomed to.
2: I, you know, I don't write a lot of light and fluffy. I mean, I, I write romance, but I write serious aspects to it. But I've written a couple, and they're fun to write. They're not as complicated. But the whole time I'm writing them, I'm feeling like I'm – it's it's not dumbed down, but it's – um there, there's not all these multiple plots in there that I'm pulling different strings on constantly. So I always feel like it's not good enough. Does that, does that make sense, Julie? Do you
1: understand what I'm yeah, saying? Uh, yeah, I do. And I think – and I've told – Jonathan, that the only reason that I can write the rom-com is because he's writing it with me. And, you know, he is the funny in all of that and kind of we keep focused on, on the cutesy stuff, but it's really hard for me to write cutesy. It's really hard.
2: Yeah. I mean, I can write cutesy, but then I have to have something like horrible happen the next chapter. And so, you know, for me, it's, it's, I, my theory is when I read it, when I write a book, if I don't get a scene where I get re- get chills when I'm writing it, yeah, which and it's never a sex scene. It's always you know that gut wrenching scene. Then I don't think it's good enough. But in cutesy c- rom y type books, it's not always there, right? So I have I doubt myself, you know. Um, but it, they're fun to write. They're it's a it's a kind of a break, and you know I would love to write out out of the genre for a little bit and just to get my you know my feet back under me, but you know, you'd have to think, okay, so when is the next release and for, for your normal readers versus a new release for, you know, a new set of readers and you know what I mean?
1: Yes. Yes. I mean, that's
0: real. Does that feel important? Uh, And that, that, that I'm referring to is the, what feels more imperative, I guess is my question. Is it maintaining the reader base you have, or is it trying to develop like new fans so that you can sustain the career longer? Or what does that feel like?
2: I feel like I'm always trying to develop new readers, uh, new new ra- readership, and it just, it's it's a really difficult time. You know, I think we were lucky when we came into this because it wasn't so saturated, and now that it is, and it's inundated with all these books and all these choices, um, it, it is more difficult, and, and I'm not, I don't want people to think that I'm saying, poor me, because I'm so not. Um it's just more of a. It's more of a challenge, and luckily, you know, Julie and I and the people who came in at our time have a foothold in there versus, you know, people that were starting are starting now where it's really hard to be seen. Um, but I do think it's hard. I, and I do think you know we are always scratching our heads and trying to come up with the next marketing aspect or how do I be seen or the next you know group of group marketing thing to to find new readers.
0: Do you think that you'll? Does this feel like a, a lifetime commitment that you are now a writer and that is what you will do for the rest of your life?
2: I'll always write. Um, it just depends. If readers want to read, then yes. But, you know, there are bills to pay at the end of the day.
1: <laughs> There's other ways to make money, Christy. Okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, that that, that that like really sort of evil laugh at the end. I'm not sure what that implies, uh, what you're suggesting that Christy do, but...
1: No, I mean, she's got other talents, right? Sometimes I think about this. I have other talents. I like I could do other things to pay the bills, you know. Yeah. And I would do other things in the industry though, cuz
2: I think I mean, don't you feel like you've been drinking water from a fire hose for the past 5 years with everything you've learned? <laughs> That's I amazing. mean, you've learned learned so much uh, more than i ever learned in college um because you have to apply it right away you ha- it's trial and error and yep. you see you see the results immediately i mean i was fueled forgot to register my isbn numbers and i missed new york times you know it's like there's things that you do that you will never forget
0: ever wait what was that say that again to me because that sounded a little bit like you were speaking calculus say this say it again
2: when I started, I bought my own ISBN numbers for my books. And ah. I forgot to register um, one of my books, my first one that I would have hit New York Times. And so I missed it because I didn't register it. <laughs> oh, my God. Um,
1: because they didn't, yeah, they didn't pull her sales off of her yeah, ISBN. She
2: kept calling me going, your numbers are like so high. And I was like, I don't know why it's not showing. And then she goes, go look in your ISBN number. And it was red and not green. so Oh, my saying God. That it was, Yeah, I may have cried a little bit.
0: (laughs) Reasonably. Um, For both of you starting out, I mean, I've been given such a gift uh, because Julie has given me this incredible tutorial into the world of how to do this. Uh, Who the hell taught you guys all the things that you needed to know in order to get the success that you have?
2: A lot of listening.
1: Yeah, I think we taught each other. Um, yeah. I, especially with Christy and I, because we were in that whole bend thing together and it was pretty early on in my career, at least. Can, can, can
0: you talk, can you talk about Bend just a little bit so that anybody who might not know what it was, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. It's an anthology of eight authors and, um, we did, it was an erotica anthology. So, it, so I wasn't writing erotica and neither was Christy. Um but we did write these very erotic stories for this one anthology called Bend. Yeah. Yeah. And it kind of went a little crazy. People went crazy for it. It's still like this cult.
0: Did it get did it get banned for some reason? <laughs>
1: it did get. It did get banned. Did get banned. <laughs> why why did uh, that the conversation to be over. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Because I thought, figured I was writing with all these hardcore radical authors, so I needed to up my game, and I did. But I upped it a little bit too much, apparently.
0: Wait, so that was it you? Am. You're the reason that it got banned?
2: Maybe. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Julie, um, yeah. Sorry, go. end was fun. Well, <laughs> and to that point, Julie, do you feel like? I mean, do you do you feel like personally your career? is like inexorably tied to those women who were a part of the anthology to Christy and all the other ladies, because that sort of catapulted you well, like way over a bunch of other steps and got you to a, a quicker place.
1: I think we were all there though. I think we were all pretty equal. I think you were out ahead of us for sure. Like I for sure feel connected to you and CD and Shay. Like And Alessandra too. Like, yeah, I think us four, I really feel that connection because CD and I and Alessandra and I kind of write similar stories. Um, And so I think we share, we have a huge fan base share between the three of us. And I don't think I share as many fans with you but still like that was just such a major part of my career at the time and it was so big like it was so big well yeah and then
2: everything that happened with it was went crazy but i think i also think it's more of the camaraderie between the authors i think you know jonathan asked how we all learn this and i think it was for me it's a lot of listening because i don't have the patience to sit and learn a lot of the things like so some of i mean some of these people authors, they spend hours researching things. And so I will just sit there and listen in groups and learn. Um, But I think we're all pretty open to talking. And I think that's a huge thing, especially in this world of women who are, you know, are all accused of catfighting with each other. We all do share quite a lot with each other.
0: How does that, where does that myth, where does that myth come from? Because being now very close up to this world, I haven't seen that at all. I see just a lot of support. Where where do you think that-
2: there's infighting but you know just if you're not part of it then you don't get associated with it and you don't see it so i just choose to not be anywhere near it
0: personally
1: yes
2: i had enough drama with three kids at home i don't need more
0: <laughs> yeah. how old are your kids now
2: 12 9 and 8 yeah i mean they're still pretty young yeah That's
0: so I'm amazing
2: crazy i'm crazy and I write in the same room my son plays Fortnite in. So that's even worse.
0: <laughs> how do you literally, like literally, how do you do that?
2: I just have to deal.
0: God bless you. Um, <laughs>
2: there are I, do. I don't want to, but. <laughs> that's
0: incredible. What are you, well, what are you working on right now?
2: Um, I just finished an Audible first that was released and that the actual paperback and ebook will be out in January. And then um, I just, I'm working on a duet for Montlake right now.
0: What is what can you talk about audible first?
2: Audible first is when audible is you know audible books are so huge right now Audi, books are huge right now um and so they approached me about doing writing a book where they got to release it first and then I could release the ebook and paperback 90 days later.
0: Did that change the way that you approach it or did you did you think about narrator voices or any of that part of it?
2: accents are big for them. Um, so I knew I was writing Australian hero. Um, but other than making sure that I had more dialogue than inner monologue, which is something I always struggle with because I like inner monologue and I know people don't, um, that's my goal with every book is to like cut inner monologue and only have so many lines between, you know, dialogue.
0: Awesome. Um, have you, have you, do you, do you listen to your audiobooks in full?
2: I never have. And I listened to that one and I was, I liked it. Like that sounds stupid, but I'm not I have a hard time with audiobooks because they don't pause where I pause in my head. They don't, you know, the it, the intonation's different, the inflection, but this one I was I was like, "Okay, I can listen to more audiobooks now." So yeah, it was kind of like popped that, my cherry.
0: That <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> That's really interesting what you just said cuz I feel Julie, the I've never heard you say that before about the idea that it doesn't sound the same when the book is produced as it did in your head. Do you have that too?
1: Um, a couple of them. I am very into audiobooks cuz like you Christy, I don't have time to read. So at night I listen to the audiobooks. Like that's the last thing I do before I go to sleep. And um that's the only way I get any reading in. Um so I do listen to ours I and in mine, but I don't like to listen to the sex scenes. <laughs> Mortifying. I skip over those. So, um, but I I usually don't have a problem with how the narrators choose to do the book. But there except have been for, a couple,
0: except for the stuff that I do. Except you
1: hate for hate stuff. No, I you love hate all everything. The stuff
0: that
1: I, do. I love okay, all great. the stuff okay, that you do. That's why I, we're I just working want, together.
0: <laughs> I just I just want I just wanted everyone in the world to hear that officially. Thank you.
2: Smart ass.
1: But there was um, there was a book that you did. And I was not happy with the female at all. And I just refused to listen it to does, it. It
2: does. It does make or break a book.
1: Yeah. Like I wouldn't listen to it. And I know other people are happy with it and that's great. That's why I'm never going to say which book I'm not happy with. But, um, but I was not happy with it at all.
0: And Christy, it Did you get to, did you get to pick your narrators? Uh, yes. Did they submit, did they just give you like a uh, audio samples or did you know, did you have people in mind?
2: Um, because I had to have, a, because it was an Australian accent, they picked, um, people that had them. And then the hard part was the male was Australian and the female wasn't. So, but I had to have a, a person who could do an Australian accent when they were speaking the male part. So they gave me, uh, we did have one and she, I mean, she up and got married on me. I mean, how dare she change her plans. Um, <laughs> but so then we switched narrators, but no, I was very pleased with the narrators because I, that there was actually a scene in my book where it's between four men and one's Greek, one's Australian, one's Italian and one's um, speak Spanish. And he was going back and forth the accent so fast. I, I I was dumbfounded like how he did it. yeah, I was quite I was quite impressed with it
0: we have a book that has a a South African character as one of the three principles. And I know uh, a pretty well established South African actor that I knew I was going to ask. And he thankfully said yes. And so he did it. Oh, cool. But then I didn't think about the fact that, and I can do a South African. Okay. But I didn't think about the fact that our female narrator was going to have to do it too until she brought it up. And she was like, um, how good do you want this to be? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And we were like, eh, can you do, can you do something that sounds vaguely you know, like Oceana? And she was yeah. like, sure. I was like, yeah, that'll be fine.
2: That works, yeah. But
0: yeah, that's fine. Because it, it is it is interesting how it can pull you out of a story, certainly, if the narrators can't facilitate that. But then I think it's also interesting, I've discovered one of the advantages to creating audio from a first-person uh, narrative is that it doesn't have to be like a scene in a room because it's actually coming from that person's perspective. So if it's authentic Correct. to the character, yeah.
1: Okay, so I, do, I have one question that i want to ask everybody now that we're doing and you're our first guest so i don't i don't think we um said that but you are our very first guest on love notes oh, thank you yeah because i thought of you immediately because i'm just like i think i think christy would be very good for this so my one question for all the authors that we're going to interview is if you knew then what you know now would you have done anything differently no no good Good. Okay. Tell me why.
2: I think I have learned something important from every mistake I've made, from every success I've had, from, you know, my mom used to always tell me this came way too easy to you. Like all of this success, like there's going to come times when you struggle and that's going to be what's going to make you. So for me, I wouldn't change a thing. I mean, yeah, I would love to go back and rewrite driven and make it cleaner and write how I do now, but no, I wouldn't change a thing.
1: I think that's very important as well cuz I think you learn more from failure than you do from success and maybe that's what your mother was really referring to you know that yeah. it, it's that the the learning moments come from a struggle and you know I don't think you had it easy um I think you and I both got a little bit lucky right yeah But I don't. But that doesn't mean. But that
2: that there was still hard work involved. You know, it was it was just timing and everything at once. But yeah, no, I, I think the mistakes I made, I learned from the people that I think I was smart about who I chose to listen to or to befriend or who to watch, and I think that's very important because we all watch each other, and I also think you know, it's really important to treat your readers as readers. Like I won't call readers fans. I will only call them readers because I'm a reader too. So, um, I like to treat them like I'm their equal. Cause I am, even though I write stories, they read, like, I just think that there is this whole community that we are a part of. That's incredible. And I wouldn't change a thing about it.
1: Yeah. I, I agree about connecting with the readers. And I think, you know, um, I think that's something Jonathan, like, was that was a surprise for you. Don't you think, Jonathan, how much interaction there is between readers and authors in indie publishing? Um,
0: yeah, well, certainly for me, you know, I come from a very traditional uh, background where I have managers and agents and publicists and all kinds of people in between me and everybody. And their job is to actually block my ability to connect directly. And so it's been a real interesting and deeply gratifying experience, like the degree to which readers care and invest, if you invest in them is really meaningful. And I, you know, I have these online relationships now that have kind of changed the way I see the world, which is really cool.
2: It's cool. It's also, it's also hard though, because it also, they also feel like, you know, they're your good friends and they will tell you when they don't like things, when you don't want to hear it, you know, like, Sometimes I want to be like, well, okay, thanks for letting me know how much that book sucked. Um, yeah. I'm not going to go over to your house and tell you your purple shirt's ugly. you know. Yeah. but
0: it, it, it literally, literally just the other day in our fan group, someone, I guess, who was a recent addition and hadn't been privy to the last year and a half of conversations. So she didn't actually, because I narrate Julie's audiobooks and yeah. our audiobooks under a pseudonym. And she didn't know that I was the pseudonym. And, oh god and she talked at length about how she i'm the, the, the my pseudonym is the one narrator she can't fucking tolerate and uh and and the thing and was no
2: other reader touched it i guarantee no other reader made a comment they just like let's not they touch just this let one. it go and i they saw did. it and i came
0: and i but i came in and i was like i gotta tell you this is the greatest thing that I will read all day. This is like the most amazing thing that has ever happened to me because I said early on with Julia, I was like, when we start writing books together, people are going to say, somebody's going to say at some point, love the book, but why didn't they get a good narrator? Jesus, the author couldn't <laughs> be worse than this guy. I was like, and it finally, finally happened. Happened. And, I, and, and the thing was, because I was kind of cool with her about it, she was like, Oh my god, I'm so humiliated. Well, maybe it was the character, and then it like turned into a conversation about she hated the character Juliet. Yes, yeah, she
1: hated my character. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I was like, well, that's fine. Yeah, I hated him. Anyway, anyway, but it's it's but it but it, what happened as a result of it was we had a really good exchange, and everyone came out of it really happy. And actually, she at the end of it was like, oh, well, let me go check out more of the books. And I was like, oh, I may have actually just encouraged us in the direction of of something. Now that that said. I also empathize deeply with what you're saying. And it has taken me a while to absorb Julie's advice of don't read the reviews. Don't go to Goodreads.
2: I read every review. I go to Goodreads. I'm that sick masochist. I do too.
0: I can't help myself.
2: But I, I like to read the negative reviews. Well, the ones that are actual constructive. I mean, the ones that are, you know, I have one that says, you know, you're a C-U-N-T, whatever, like whatever, right, right, right. You know, go suck an egg. Um, But, the ones that are constructive, like I changed all of the second book of Driven, the fueled, my book fueled because of reviews and it was the, for the best. I mean, they said, well, how come we can't hear from the male character? How come we're, he's so complex? We need to hear from him. So I rewrote the book and put his point of view in. And
0: that is what changed things That's for me. A, that's amazing. And, I, and, but I think that is absolutely what you said. If, if a review is constructive, it is valuable. And so often, unfortunately, they're just people's feelings, which is not, a critique, right? It's just like yeah. this is how the book made me feel. But if someone offers something, uh, yeah, I've, I've taken to doing that too. I don't, you don't, you don't read reviews and you don't take that stuff into account when writing at all, do you?
1: Um, I do read the reviews, and if I hear something from them that I agree with, I will take it into account. But you know, I'm so weird. Like I don't use beta readers, and before Jonathan, I don't yeah, before Jonathan came around, nobody got to see the book until I until it was through the editor and I was ready to publish. So um, that has changed a little. But yeah, I usually do not. um, I'm not looking for what they want me to do. But I do enjoy the good reviews. (laughs) And I do enjoy when Jonathan calls me up and says, listen to this review, it's the best. And it's like a one star and it... (laughs)
0: I will. And I will. Like- I will let her know. I will let her know when someone really hates something, but it's like, but they hate it in the most amazing way that I just can't stop obsessing over it. You know,
1: I had one recently where somebody said, I, I think this is one you read to me, Jonathan, you can't see Pike's peak from Denver. Cause it was in the
0: book. And yeah. I was like,
1: bitch, you can see Pike's peak from like Lamar. Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> this just got, this conversation just got very local just got real precise. Um, you know what? We, I don't want, th- I, we, we've talked for a while. I'm going to let you go uh, because you do have, you have books to write and kids to raise and soccer to watch. Um, I thank you for being our inaugural guest. And before we let you go, um, if, if people no no, 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 not a test. No, I, <laughs> um, I want to encourage people if they haven't read Christie's books to go out and get started at the beginning. You can read driven, fueled, crashed, raced, aced. I mean, where can they find it goes, it goes on and on right. no. <laughs> where, where can they where can they find you on the internet and find your reading book your reading order and that kind of thing
2: Um, my website www.kbromberg.com there is a whole reading order list there Um, and Amazon iBooks Barnes and Noble the usual places
0: and where are you on the various social platforms
2: Uh, yeah Twitter Facebook Instagram, Facebook, Bookbub, Goodreads. I mean, we could just
0: keep going. Okay, cool. Um, Christy Bromberg, thank you. Let's, Julie, let's.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Oh, yeah. thank yeah. you for having me, guys.
0: Um, thank you so much. And it was uh, really
1: good um, catching up with you, too, because I haven't talked to you. It was.
0: In oh, and where it can was. people watch Driven? Uh, is it-
1: they can watch it on Passion
2: Flicks, and it should be on Amazon shortly awesome. for download. Oh, yay.
0: Christy Bromberg. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thanks, Christy. Thank you. Bye guys. Thanks for listening to love notes podcast with J.A. Huss and Jonathan McLean. You can find us on the web at lovenotespodcast.com And if you stop by, we have a comment section at the bottom of each page where you can ask us questions about our guests or any other thing on your mind. Each week we'll choose a few to answer on the air. And you do not want to miss our next podcast with Lauren Bleakley, so be sure to hit subscribe.
0: And because we hate saying goodbye, because there is no goodbye, there's only until next time, we'll just say, we'll see you next time. Although we won't see you because it's a podcast, but you can listen in next time and we'll continue talking to people and you'll subscribe and you'll come back around. Because if there's one thing we like here at Love Notes Podcast, it's awkward goodbyes. Love Notes is produced by Emily Durr, J.A. Huss, and me. Executive producer is Oh My Audiobooks, an imprint of Podium Publishing. Editing by Troy Odie. Our theme song and music is by Brandon Costello. Special thanks to my wife Laura for being patient and quiet while I have to record these things. Julie's entire family and her donkeys for being generally excellent. And Emily Durr for being Canadian. Finally, the art on our website was made by Julie Huss. You can check it out at lovenotespodcast.com. That's lovenotespodcast.com. Support for Love Notes comes from Oh My Audiobooks, where the pleasure is all yours.